I was thinking about it, one of my favorite Christmas memories uh, in getting ready for today. So back in the winter of 2003, so long ago, right? Um, it, I was having a really good year. I had started dating this awesome girl named Dallas. Uh, we had started dating a couple months before, and it was going really well, and I thought it was time to take the next step. And so I got down on one knee, and I asked her, will you go to the midnight showing of Return of the King with me? <laughs> I mean, this, this was a big... This is a big deal for me. Uh, this is the conclusion of the Lord of the Rings film trilogy. And uh, this was like, to, to me at that time, the, the holy grail of, of movies. And it's also like four hours long. And so you can't just take anybody with you to go, to go watch this movie. It's a, it's a big deal. So being young and in love, she said yes. She, she, and <laughs> she said yes. And so I knew this is a good sign. Things are getting serious. She wants to go to Lord of the Rings with me. So one of the things that you might know about me if you're close with me is is that I feel the need when I go to the movies, I have to sit in like certain seats and if I can't get in those seats, I just don't even want to go. Just like it's I don't want to sit in the front row. I don't want to sit way over on the side and and I would just rather not go. So in order to do this, you have to get there early enough. Uh, which is one area that Dallas and I are very different in, but that's how marriage is sometimes. Uh, so, so for Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and we didn't, we didn't have any kids yet. We weren't married yet. Uh, and so it's much easier to, to think about getting to the movies hours ahead of time to make sure you get the right seat. So we got in a line. I don't even remember what time we got there, but it was, it was hours ahead of time. They let us in to the theater about two hours before the movie was even going to start. So we got good enough seats. They weren't the best, but they were good enough. We got there uh, with enough time. And so now you've got a theater full of excited nerds uh, waiting for this movie to start, but you have to wait another two hours. It's a long, I mean, two hours in a movie theater when a movie is going is fine, but when there's nothing happening, it's, it's kind of boring in there. There's not, there's not even any windows or anything. It's just, it's just this boring space. And of course, the iPhone had not been invented yet, so we just had to deal with boredom, which is a thing that used to exist but no longer does. Uh, and, and so I don't even know what motivated this. I must have been very bored. Uh, for some reason, I thought... I'll just go up in the front of the movie theater and, and we'll just, I don't know, we'll just talk or I'll try to get other people to come up and do something. And this is not something I would normally do. I mean, I'm in front right now, but this is, you know, I plan this out. It's not spontaneous. Uh, and, and so I, I, I really cannot explain this. I thought, well, let's sing some Christmas carols. It's almost Christmas, so, I mean, we are so bored. We've still got like an hour and a half to go. Let's sing some Christmas carols. And, and so what carol did I think? Well, this, people will know this one. It was the song Joy to the World. And I think this is probably the best-known uh, English Christmas carol in the English language, and, and I think it's a song that even people who aren't uh, 
aren't familiar with church or don't have a religious background, they'll have some familiarity with this song. And, and if, you, if you listen to the words, it's this really beautiful and powerful expression of why we celebrate the birth of Jesus during this time of year. And so we sang Joy to the World, a bunch of Lord of the Rings excited people sang Joy to the World in this movie theater in Eureka. And there was some outcry. There were some people who were like, Christmas is a pagan holiday. And, and we're like, we're just going to sing about Jesus. Sorry, you guys. Uh, and so, so we did. And, and I've been thinking a lot about this, this carol, Joy to the World, this year. And I thought, you know, we finished our... Uh, series in the Lord's Prayer last week, and we're not having a Christmas Eve service. I wanted today to kind of be focused on Christmas, and I thought it would be kind of neat for us to dive into this song, Joy to the World, and look at each verse, because a lot of times we sing songs, especially Christmas carols or songs that we know, and we don't even really think about the words. It's just, I, I know there's a lot of words that I'm not familiar with. I wouldn't normally use them in my everyday language, and they're all just put together in this song, but it's a beautiful melody, and it makes me feel nostalgic and, and happy, so let's sing Joy to the World. But, but we're going to just take some time and look at the verses in, in the song, Joy to the World, and, and what is the, what's the meaning behind this Carol, right? VH1 used to have Behind the Music. That's what we're just going to do Behind the Music this morning with Joy to the World. So we're going to start by reading Psalm 98. This is the psalm that uh, this hymn, this carol is based off of. So Psalm 98, it's on page 500 in your Bibles. If you're using one from the table in the back, it'll also be on the screen. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song. And sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be here today. We're grateful that we have a reason to sing. We have a reason to express our joy because of you sending your son, Jesus. And I pray that you would call us into joy this morning through your word Holy Spirit, would you reveal your salvation to us this morning? And that those of us with heavy hearts, those of us uh, who have been uh, struggling to remember why, uh, why this season or, or any season um, should have joy, would you lift our eyes to see our King Jesus? And would you give us hope this morning 
in, in you. We love you and pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so the, the author of the carol, Joy to the World, was an English man named Isaac Watts. He was a congregational minister. He's probably the most influential writer of hymns in the English language. He wrote over 750 hymns, uh, many that we still sing today, even though he wrote them, most of them over 300 years ago, which is, that's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I was looking through a list of his songs, like, I know a lot of those, and that's 300 years is a long time. There's not many songs that we sing today that were written today that will be sung in 300 years. And so, so he wrote hymns like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, probably um, the kind of the pinnacle of, of hymns. Uh, I Sing the Mighty Power of God, another hymn that we sing here, Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed. Uh, they're just a few examples of the hymns that he wrote throughout his life. And so it makes sense that he would write probably the most well-known Christmas carol uh, in the English language. So I was surprised, though, to learn that Joy to the World was not originally written as a song or as, uh, as a hymn. So here, here's what I found out, that, that in addition to writing hymns, Isaac Watts also wrote poetry, uh, and many of them were never put to music. So in, in the year 1719, 300 years ago, he published this book of poems, and each poem was based on one of the 150 psalms. And so he wrote a, a poem for each one, but rather than just translating uh, from Hebrew into English, he, he adapted the, the psalms and put them into to kind of poetic form, but also including his reflections or his interpretations of how Jesus, uh, as the Messiah, fulfilled what the Psalms were talking about as revealed in the New Testament. So one of those poems was an adaptation of Psalm 98, which we just read. And, And Isaac Watts, he interpreted this psalm as, here is a joyful celebration of ultimately pointing to Jesus' role as as the king, the king of his people, us, uh, and the king of the whole world, all of creation. And it wasn't until more than a century later, uh, the second half of this poem was slightly adapted by a musician named Lowell Mason, and he set uh, the words to the music that we all know and love. So because Psalm 98 and this carol are rooted in the theme of joy, I think it's probably a good idea for us to have a reference point for, for what joy is. Like it, The whole thing sort of hinges on our understanding of what joy is. So in both the Old and the New Testament, joy is shown to be... Here's, here's the mark that distinguishes people... Uh, individually and people together, the people of God together, that, that joy is this mark of, of the people who follow the God of Israel. And so what we see in, in the scriptures as joy is described, as it's put on display, is, is that joy is not, is not only a feeling or an emotion. And we, and we typically think that, right? Like we even have 
you know, the Pixar movie Inside Out, right? And these, these key emotions, and joy is one of those emotions. And, and, but what we see scripturally or biblically is that joy is not just a feeling or an emotion. Joy can actually be better described in, in the scriptures as, as a quality or a condition, uh, so, so that condition or that quality can lead to happy uh, emotions or feelings, but joy, as the Bible defines it, can even exist or be present as a quality when happiness is not there, when, when we would say, I don't feel joyful, but joy can still exist in those moments. So, so for us, if we're a follower of Jesus, joy can be present even when our circumstances are very not joyful, when they're very unjoyful. So, so our question is then: Well, that doesn't that doesn't really make sense for us. How can this be that that we could not feel joyful? We wouldn't feel the emotion, but we could exist in a state of joy or, or be in a condition. Of joy, so how how can we have joy even when we don't feel joy? And the the way the scriptures talk about this is that joy comes from a source. Joy comes in the scriptures from God, so that that Jesus is the source or the basis of our joy. So if we have Him, joy can be present no matter what else is going on. Joy can exist because we're in Jesus. We have him. And he said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you alone. And so you can have joy at all times. This is, I think, what King David is talking about in Psalm 16. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures Forevermore, And I don't think King David or anywhere in the scriptures is trying to say that you should always feel happy. You should always feel joyful. There's no mandate that we always feel happy. But there is commands to be joyful. And so, so I think what we're learning here is seeing that joy can exist even when we don't feel like it. Even when we don't feel Happy, And that's the kind of joy that Psalm 98 is putting on display. Here's, here's a declaration. This is what God has done. He is a savior. He's the one who brings salvation. He's the one who rescues us from sin. He's the one who rescues us from death. And the result of seeing that, the result of what God has done, he is the source of of joy. So first we see in verse 1 of Psalm 98 that salvation has been accomplished. Oh sing to the Lord a new song for he has done. He has accomplished marvelous things. His right hand, his his holy arm have worked or have achieved salvation for him. So this is not a potential outcome. This is something that is spoken of in the past tense. This is something that's already been done. So we can think about what Jesus, when he says it is finished on the cross, we can trust 
Our salvation has been won. Our salvation has been accomplished, and so we don't have to wonder. It's not a question. It doesn't need to be a question or something we wonder about. We have a basis for our salvation. Jesus has accomplished it. Jesus has already done it, and it's it's not based on our work, right? It's not based on something we've done. If you, if you had to depend on your joy for something that you have accomplished, you're going to have doubts. You're going to have questions because we know how fickle we are and how unreliable we are. Even with our best intentions, we want to do good. We want to do what we should do. But we're going to doubt that because we know how weak we are. But when we look to Jesus, we look at what he has already accomplished we can have certainty. We don't have to wonder about the outcome. Jesus has done what we could not do for ourselves. And this truth, this objective truth, that's where joy is birthed. That's where joy comes from. Next, Psalm 98 tells us that salvation has been revealed. Salvation has been made known. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. So this isn't something hidden. Look around, right? Look around you. What's what's going on this time of year? Everyone is doing things to be an outward sign of what this season is, right? Everyone's decorating their houses. There's red and green everywhere. We have nice decorations in here. Uh, There's blow-up Snoopies, you know. uh, People have these giant inflatable things in their front yards. Uh, There's there's presents. There are people singing carols. People are putting up trees. If this happened in March, we would be like, what is wrong with people, right? You would be confused and, and concerned. But we're just like, this is this is appropriate for this time of year because we're remembering something. It's all traced back to the fact that God has revealed his son Jesus as our savior, as our rescuer. And, and of course, not every person who's putting up Christmas lights or buying presents or singing carols, they don't necessarily understand or believe in Jesus. But the whole thing is based on the fact that Jesus has been revealed. So, so even in his birth that was quiet uh, and, and mostly incognito, here in Eureka, here in Humboldt County, there is fanfare, right? Because Jesus has been revealed. Something has happened. God's salvation has been made known. And that in itself is a reason or a basis for our joy. Now, a good question for us is we've, been, we've mentioned it a couple times about our weakness uh, our inability to be good on our own. So, so it is appropriate to say, well, why would God save us? Why would he do this? Why would he rescue us? And verse 3 gives us this explanation that, that God has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. I think the real beauty, the thing that really draws us to the Christmas story is that it's rooted in the love and the faithfulness of God. That that when Jesus is born, it really is this declaration 
tangible display that God loves us. I mean, just think about that. The, the whole story of Christmas is rooted in God's love, and it's this proclamation. God keeps his word. He's faithful. He, all of his promises are kept. All this, this longing for rescue and redemption based on what God had said, it's been fulfilled. It's been kept. And not just for the people of Israel in Jesus, but, but the psalmist says this salvation is extended to all of the earth, that, that in the salvation of Israel, all of the earth can receive the salvation of the Messiah. And this is what Isaac Watts had in mind as he wrote the words that became this first verse. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. The Lord's been revealed. And let earth, all the earth, receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Sing to the Lord a new song because salvation has come. When Jesus is born. So receive him. Make room, surrender your life to him. The Lord is come. Next, we see in Psalm 98, there's this uh, continued calling to worship and to joy, to, and it's really to respond. Here's, here's the truth of who God is, and here's what he's done. He's, he's accomplished salvation for us. Here's how we respond to what's been shown to us. Make a joyful noise. To the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous song. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Now, I don't know what a lyre is. It's some kind of stringed instrument, um, and it sounds like I don't want to be called. I don't want to have anything to do with a lyre, but it's just the translation of English and Hebrew and whatnot. But you, we... <laughs> We don't have to know what these instruments are. We know what trumpets are and horns and all that, but, but the gist is, like, make a ruckus, right? Make some noise, get excited, sing loud. This is, this is what Isaac Watts is saying, let men their songs employ. Like, make some noise, make some loud noise. And, and I think we know this intuitively, that, that singing is an expression of of joy. And this, this could go to anything. You're on a summer road trip and a song comes on the radio and you just want to sing, right? Like it's an expression of joy that we have. And it, it doesn't always have to be rooted in the experiences that we're in the midst of, but it can be in a rooted trust. This is what's already been done. And so I can sing with joy. We, we did this on Wednesday night, right? People are expressing their sadness and their sorrow, naming their griefs before the Lord, and yet we were singing also things that reminded us of what is true. Things that reminded us of that even though we're walking through difficult things in our lives, we can have deep-rooted joy because this is who Jesus is and this is what he has done for us. We have a reason to sing because we have been saved from our sin and Jesus is the King, the Savior reigns. And as we do this, 
We are joining together with all of creation. Verses 7 and 8, let the sea roar. All that fills it, let the world and those, the world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing together for joy. And this is what Isaac Watts is reflecting on as he says, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ. Wall at the same time, fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat over and over again. If we don't praise God, the rocks themselves will cry out. Repeat the sounding joy. In the next verse of the carol, Watts moves away from Psalm 98 and goes back to something even further in the story of God in the scriptures. Why did Jesus have to come into the world in the first place? Why do we need a savior? Why is all of creation groaning and longing for redemption? Why do we so often feel a lack of joy? The answer is because of sin, because humanity has rebelled against the authority of God, the good intentions and design of God. Because we've done that, we live and have lived under the curse of sin, and it affects everything, including nature. We, we sometimes forget that creation itself is affected by the curse of sin, uh, the, the animal kingdom and all of nature, like things aren't the way they're supposed to be there as well. So the good that God created has all been affected and tainted by the darkness of sin. And we see this in the expression of the curse in Genesis chapter 3. To Adam, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. That means that all of our efforts, all of our work, and we need to remember that work was created by God as something good before the curse of sin. Work itself is not a curse, but work has been affected by the curse of sin. And I think we feel the pain of this every day. Uh, No matter what your job is, no matter what your role or responsibility is, We make plans, we have things we want to get done, we have a to-do list, and it just doesn't happen, right? It just never gets done. Something gets in the way, somebody else doesn't do what they're supposed to do, you don't have the right tool. I mean, the, the, the possibilities are endless, and it just goes on... And on, we, and we, we get frustrated, we feel unsatisfied with our work because it doesn't meet uh, our expectations. We got our dream job we went to school for, and it lets us down. It doesn't meet the expectations that we have. And then so we maybe switch jobs and try something else, and we run into the same kinds of issues that we had before. And it's not just work, it's, it's everything. Isaiah chapter 24 says, uh, talking about, uh, not specifically about work, but, but talks about a time when all joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. And that's a picture of what, what life looks like under the curse of sin when joy has grown 
dark. And it's into this darkness that Jesus came as a baby to bring salvation, to bring light, to bring life. And his, his birth is the beginning of the end of the curse of sin. But, but we, we've been learning about this in Advent, right? We know that there's more to come all through these four weeks of Advent We aren't just looking back at Jesus' first coming in Bethlehem. We're also looking forward to his second coming because things are not all the way that they're supposed to be. There's more to come. And when Jesus comes, he will set all things right. The curse of sin will be finally and completely lifted and all of creation will live in joy and gladness of the salvation of Jesus. And this is what, what Watts writes about in the third verse of Joy to the World. This is the verse that, that we don't often sing. We're going to, spoiler alert, we're going to sing Joy to the World at the end of our gathering today, which is going to be cool. But we're not going to do this verse. Uh, but it is, it is a great verse that says, No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This is what is coming. This is what we are yearning and longing for. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more curse in creation. And this is Jesus' promise to us. I will come again. My salvation will flow to all the ends of the earth, restoring everything to the way it's supposed to be as far as the curse is found. To every corner where the curse has gone and affected Jesus' salvation will lift that curse as far as it's found. But it's not just for nature. It's it's also for us. It's also for us. We are waiting for something in ourselves, in who we are. First John chapter 3 verse 2 says, Beloved, and hear this, you, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus comes again, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Right? The reality is if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we're God's children now. We've been adopted into his family, but we're also waiting and as we wait, we get, to, we get to live in this hope, this expectation that there is more to come. And we know, we've seen it, God has kept his promises. Jesus coming as a baby, it, it shows that to us. It gives us a reason to believe that, a basis for joy as we look to the future. Psalm 98 finishes by looking ahead to this glorious day when Jesus comes again. Verse 9, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, I don't usually, probably most of us, we don't think of judgment as as a good thing. It's not something that we look forward to. Um, I've, I've been in court Uh, for like a traffic ticket and that's a terrifying experience the judge is like they they're so 
forceful and, and you're afraid that you might say the wrong thing and if you don't say your honor, like it's a very intimidating experience. And so thankfully I've never been in court for anything really bad uh, or significant, but I, I can't imagine a scenario where I'd be like, I'm really glad that I'm here. Even in jury duty, you're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything wrong. They're going to drag me to jail. Now, I think there's, there's something in the justice system, right, that, that is, is a reflection of, of God's judgment. And for sure, it's, it's not perfect, okay? So not trying to say that. But, but I think there's something that we can look at there and, 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 and ask, well, why, like, how does this psalm talk about looking forward to God's judgment, how, how can we even have that sort of mindset when it seems so intimidating? And, and I think our reason for being intimidated by, by judgment is that if you've done something wrong, the last thing you want is real justice, right? You don't want to really be held accountable. You don't want somebody who has the authority to pass judgment on you knowing about those things. That's, that's why we're frightened. That's why it's intimidating. But when... When Jesus comes again as the final judge, and, and some of us, we have a hard time even thinking about Jesus as a judge. That, that goes against a lot of how we feel about Jesus. How can, how can Jesus do that? But we have to see that when Jesus comes again, his judgment, he is a perfect judge. He's perfectly righteous. He's perfectly fair, and so the beauty for us, the beauty of the gospel is that, that when we've trusted in Jesus for our salvation, we have nothing to fear when it comes to Jesus' judgment. We have absolutely nothing to fear. If, we've, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, we're saying, I'm, I'm with you, okay? I'm, I'm with you and I'm trusting that what you've done for me is my righteousness, and because, because you've done that for me, because you took my judgment on yourself at the cross, I am made right. My record is clean. And so we have nothing to fear in Jesus' second coming, in his judgment. But we can actually, instead, we can actually look forward to his second coming. You know, a lot of, a lot of what's going on in the world it's, we, we are obsessed with like apocalyptic things, right? And it's all bad. Like it's always end of the world scenarios. It's like zombies and, and crazy viruses that wipe out 99% of the population or some combination of vampire. It's just like we have so many ideas of what the end of the world looks like and none of them are good, right? Like, and, and we're just... Because I think we, we feel like that's, that's how it's going to go. Like, it's not going to get good. But Jesus is inviting us to anticipate and long for him to come again. Not to be afraid. Not to wonder how it's all going to go down. Not to worry about any of these things. But that we can actually look forward to his coming. And we should actually long for, desire his perfect Justice, because we really should want things to be the way that they're supposed to be. We really should long for things to be set right. And that's the promise of Jesus, that when he comes again, all things are as 
they should be. And this is what the, the final passage, right, in the book of Revelation, which we're scared of sometimes. But listen to what it says at the end of Revelation in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. On Wednesday, Christmas, we will celebrate by looking back to Jesus' first coming as a baby. And it's truly something to be glad about. It's truly something to celebrate. But but I think our invitation here into joy is not just to look back, but it's to look forward. It's to look at what is to come, that when Jesus comes again, all the nations will bow before him and worship the King of Kings. Joy has come and joy is coming. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful today for the message of Jesus' first coming and this this call, this invitation into joy and hope at what is to come. I pray that you'd help us to reflect this joy in our lives through the way that we think about you, the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about our neighbors, the way that we think about our work, the way that we think about our church community, the way that we think about everything, that, that our joy would be steady and firm because it's in you that we have joy. And that you, Holy Spirit, would would transform our hearts and you would lead us into this joy day by day that the fruit of of being with you, Holy Spirit, would would produce joy in us. And I pray that you you would deepen the ache and the longing in each of our hearts for you to come again, Lord Jesus. We look forward to the day when all things will be set right and everything will be made new. And we, we long to see your face, Lord Jesus, to make our joy complete. Because in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you for calling us into this this morning. Help us to keep reflecting on this and to keep walking in this. We pray it all in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.